Well, I'm glad you guys are here this morning. It's nice to see you. Um, got this fancy little drum room that the men were nice enough to put together over the weekend. It's really nice. Poor Pastor Todd's got to live in the box. Yeah. You know, we bought that thing in August and it finally we just got it set up. So, you know, if you don't know anything about church ministry, managing drums is like half of what we do here. Just making sure it works all right. Um, you know, I, I, I also want to, like, did you guys, that second song we worshiped with today was a good song. Angie Derrick wrote it. Uh, yeah, it's really good. First of many. It's good. And we're, we're happening, man. We got people writing songs. If I had to see everybody here, I'd just like to look and make sure I don't need to change the sermon. Oh, I just got one in my pocket. Honey, is there anything else I needed to say? No. Okay, let's pray for this message. Father God, we love you, we praise you, we glorify you in the mighty name of Jesus. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it's alive and that it's active and that it's sharper than any double-edged sword. God, we pray today that you'd use this word to change us, challenge us, and to convict us. Father, we want to glorify you with our lives, our speech, with our desires, and with our hearts. Praise you and thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Well, today is the end of uh, the preaching about the Reach More campaign. Um, I know that many of you have come today to make your commitments to the Lord for 2020. For those of you that are visitors, this whole month we've been talking about, we, we want to pay off our building uh, to glorify God. Some more people will praise his name. And so you can go listen to the old messages if you want to. Um, but it's, uh, the, the ask is really simple. We want to ask people to pray, ask the Lord if you'd sacrifice on a monthly basis for 36 months starting in January. Today's the day that we make our commitments. At the uh, end of the service today as you leave, um, and uh, Actually, I don't know if the... Did the ushers hand them out? Are they handing... Yes? No. Okay, you guys can start handing them out right now. That's fine, just as I'm doing this. Um, we just want to ask you to fill it out, one per family, um, and uh, just throw it in the bucket. Uh, when we do these types of things, people always start asking weird questions. Uh, Casey Mallorca is the one that's going to be collecting the cards. Why? Because a human has to do it. Okay? Um, I won't know who's giving, and I won't know what you're giving, and I don't want to know. Um, I, I don't know how much people tithe in this church, um, and I don't want to know because I just don't. You know, I know, I know if you tithe or not, if you tell me often. Uh, sometimes I know if you tithe based on how your life is. Um, but um, uh, I, I, don't, I don't want you as you're giving, because at the end of the service, you'll leave and you'll put them in the bucket. And um, I don't want you thinking like, oh, pastor's going to be looking at the numbers. Uh, I'm just going to look at the big number. That's all it is, right? Like I'll give you an example. Um, all of the, uh, pay, pay attention, hear me when I say this. All of the pastors and deacons of this church made commitments. Casey said, this is how much the pastors and the deacons have committed to. I don't know what pastors or what deacons committed to, to what, because I don't want to know. Uh, the, the, the pastors and deacons of your church, okay, the ones that serve you, stepped up and have committed to uh, paying off $260,000 of our debt, over a quarter of a million dollars 
that your pastors and deacons have already committed to before we even commit today. And, and, and why do I share that with you? It's because I don't want you to think that, that your church leadership is not asking something of you that they're not asking of themselves. Your pastors and deacons. A, a quarter of a million dollars is a lot of money. Um, and it's between God and you what you do. Um, and, and we've been talking about over the last month, and, and I'd encourage you to go back and listen to the messages if you haven't heard it. Uh, we've been talking about the value of a local church and our desire to pay off this building for the glory of God so that more will worship him, more will serve him, and so that we can establish this church as an ark of safety as we await Christ's return so that we can preach the true gospel of God's grace uh, unencumbered so that uh, we don't have to worry about uh, being told to stop, preach the truth. It is coming. I promise you that it's coming for the churches. And so we're going to proactively get ahead of it so that we don't have to worry about it. Nobody can tell us to stop preaching and the truth. This message today that I'm going to be talking about is we're going to be talking about the seven churches of Revelation, and we're talking about five crowns that we can receive as Christians. Now, uh, uh, if, as we go through this, I, I want you to realize that these, some of these churches were rebuked, and some of these were praised at Christ's return. We want to be a church that's praised as, uh, upon Christ's return. Uh, the book of Revelation makes it very clear what kind of churches are going to be rebuked. We do not want to be a church that gets rebuked at all. Okay, we want to uh, earn these crowns um, that Jesus promises us. And I want to show you how it's possible that as Christians, we're able to earn these crowns through the local church. The pledging is not what's going to get you into heaven. Money is not the way in which you get to heaven. Uh, you, uh, you could pay off the building today and write a check, and I would say thank you, but that's not a ticket to heaven at all. And so the connection between pledges and crowns is that the pledges are so that we can pay off our church because the church is a vehicle by which we can be able to earn these crowns in Christ Jesus. Does that make sense? So let's talk about these uh, churches in Revelation. And, and you'll find them in Revelation chapter 2 and 3. Um, what, what, one of the first churches that's talked about is the, the church of Ephesus. Now, mind you, if you go to the book of Revelation and you'll see uh, it's all in red because it's Jesus talking about it. And Jesus talked about the Ephesian church and he called it a loveless church. He looked at them and he said, you know what? You're hardworking. You hate evil. You look good, but your hearts are wrong. And where were their hearts wrong? Their hearts were wrong because they were missing the most important component, which is love. And so Jesus condemned them and said, I appreciate that you're against evil and I appreciate that you're hardworking, but you're missing the most important component, which is love. Pergamum. Pergamum was a church that Jesus said to them and said, you are a worldly compromising church. Now, the Pergamum was a church of tolerance. And, and, and the word tolerance, I think, is not what people think that it means. But this church had become a place where they began to tolerate sin. And they said, it's okay that you're doing this, and it's okay that you're doing things against the, the, the Lord, but uh, we're just going to be that kind of church anyway. And they, they committed sins like sexual immorality, and they worshipped idols, and they involved cults and heresies inside of their church. And Jesus said, you're a worldly compromising church of tolerance. Thetira. Thetira was a church that Jesus talked about in Revelation and it was a wrong doctrine church. They had faith. They had love. They had good works. They were patient. 
But their doctrine was bad. They, they, the outwardly, it looked like things were good, but at the core of who they were and what they were preaching was it was bad because, again, they allowed sexual sin, idolatry, and paganism. They were corrupt. It's interesting. When you look at the book of Revelation, you look at the church, and you look at the way that Jesus talked about them, he often condemns them for sexual immorality. It actually matters what we do with our bodies. Sardis was a spiritually dead church. They were asleep spiritually except for a small remnant. And so Jesus encouraged them to revive themselves by faith. He said, there's a small remnant inside of you that can revive this church. And this is what I hope for you, church of Sardis. And then we get into these other churches like the church of Laodicea. And the church of Laodicea is is the most uh, condemned church out of the seven, I believe, because it's the lukewarm church. And I don't know if you know what lukewarm is. That means it's not hot. It's not cold. It's just kind of, eh. We don't don't tolerate lukewarmness in our soup or our coffee. Why would we tolerate it in our churches? This church only received a rebuke because they were neither hot nor cold. That Jesus said that they were relying on the things of this world and riches. A halfway church. Revelation 3.16, because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, Jesus said, I'm going to vomit you out of my mouth, church of Laodicea. And then Smyrna, which was the persecuted church. Now, the Smyrna, they're they're not actually being condemned, but Jesus recognizes that they're under physical hardship. And so he says, you know, you're being persecuted, but I encourage you that that you're not going to experience the second death. And I encourage you to stay faithful until the end. And then finally, Jesus speaks about the Philadelphia church. The faithful church. The spiritually alive church. Philadelphia did well. They didn't receive a rebuke. They never denied Jesus. Jesus said you're going to have a a huge promise in heaven because you've loved me and you've held on to good doctrine and you ran your church well. And for all these churches, Jesus said, read it folks, it's in there. Revelation 2 and 3. Every single one of these churches, Jesus said, I know your works. This, this idea that, that, that Jesus doesn't watch our church and doesn't pay attention to what we're doing is not true. Jesus watches every church. And at the end of all things, these seven churches are, uh, are, are an example of the modern day church. And how he's going to walk through and look at different churches and say, condemnation or commendation. I want commendation. I don't want condemnation. I want Jesus, when he comes into our church, to say, I know your works, faith and victory. I've been watching you. I've been paying attention. You are spiritually alive. In our church, we want to have the long view. We want to have a view that says, I don't know when Christ is returning, but when he finds us, let him find us well. Let him find us uh, spotless and blameless. I don't know when Christ is going to return, but church, we are here today because of 2,000 years of Christians that maintain churches. They have passed the torch on to us. And you look at the last 2,000 years and the amount of things that uh, Christians have had to go through, we're here because of them. Hundreds of years ago, the, the churches that existed and preached the gospel so that the gospel would move forward as, as we're awaiting Christ's return. Jesus said, behold, I come quickly and we're closer than we've ever been of his return. Yeah. 
Very much so if you pay attention to what's going on around us. I hope he comes back today. Man, I hope he comes back today. I don't need tomorrow. I want him to come back today. But if he tarries and he gives us more time, it's our job to pass the torch to the next generation. People say, well, what is the church doing? Folks, we're existing. It's what we're supposed to do. We occupy space until Christ's return. We, we, we carry the torch of who we are so that, the, so that the lost may be found and that Christ's church may be together and await his return so he'll find us upon his return. I do not believe in individual Christianity. I don't at all. It's not biblical. It's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches a collected body of believers in a public assembly. That's what the Bible teaches. Our children's children may be the ones who are running the church when Christ returns. This is why, parents, it's so important for you to bring your kids to church. You, you may have your next pastor in your house. I tell these people, these young men, I'm like, would you bring your young men to church, please? Because he could be in charge one day. You have no idea. And they will be running this church one day. And we'll be old and we'll be complaining about how they're doing it. Sing those old songs. Those drums are too loud. Why they got to use lasers? You know what I mean? Hair growing out of our ears. We'll be telling them. I, you know, I can't wait to get old. You know what I mean? I just want to shuffle around and say whatever I want. You know what I'm saying? Maybe I'll just start now. So as a church, we don't want to be loveless. We don't want to be the Ephesian church that Jesus comes in and says, man, you guys got it right and you did good, but you just didn't show love. We want to operate in love and everything. Love is the heart of God. Good biblical love. Not false agape love. Not one that's tolerant of sin and tolerant of all the things of the world. Good biblical love. We want to be a loving church. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 5, 4, In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you gather together along with my spirit, with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, no, no, that's the other one. That's not the love verse. The love verse is, <laughs> God ahead. I get so excited. Um, 2 Corinthians 8, 24, Therefore show to them and before the churches the proof of your love and the boasting on your behalf. You know, Faith and Victory is a very loving church. And it's one of the things that people say when they come to our church, like, man, these people are so loving. And I figured it out. Um, and, and this is nothing having to do with me. Any church produces this. Churches that are loving are churches that have uh, 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 preaching that is, uh, brings discipline upon the body. It, it's, it's like a parent with a child. When you, when you discipline your children, it produces loving children. If you don't discipline your children, it produces a, a self-seeking, selfish kids that nobody wants to be around. The, love, the most loving kids you find are the ones that are disciplined the most. And so in a church, I think it's no different. If you go to a church and the people are loving, it's usually because the pastor's preaching the truth and the people don't have to go around and discipline each other. They just lick their wounds and love one another because they get it from the pulpit. It's true. You go to a church where the, where the, where the truth isn't preached and, and, and the people aren't loving. This doesn't happen. We don't want to be a church that's tolerant of sin at all. It says in 1 Corinthians, it says it is reported among you. We don't want to tolerate sin in ourselves or in others. And whether you attend this church as a member or as an attender, if you check in on Facebook, when you go out and you perform sin in the community, you become that scripture that says it is reported among you. 
People don't know what level of relationship that you're at in the church when you tell them that you go to church and then you go live a certain kind of way. It brings, it brings a certain kind of uh, uh, reflection upon your church. We don't want to tolerate sin in ourselves or within our church. 1 Corinthians 5.4, the book written to the Corinthian church. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, when you're gathered together along with my spirit with the power of the Lord Jesus, deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of the flesh that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Sin would separate you from God. Sin keeps you out of heaven. I don't know about you. I want to go to heaven. And so if I got sin in my life, let me know. Help me out because I want to remove it so that I can go to heaven and be with Jesus. Let's not play this game where we just look the other way because we're afraid of confrontation and we're afraid to let somebody know. Man, let me know. I don't, I don't want to go somewhere that I don't want to go. We don't want to be a church that has the wrong doctrine. We want to preach correct doctrine that is biblical. And it's hard because in this day and age with the internet, there's so much bad doctrine out there, man. There just is. And there's people that twist scriptures and, 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 and I get it, man. Some people come to our church and they say things to me like, well, you know, your preaching isn't that deep. Dude, it doesn't have to be deep. I, I preach the very simple precepts of God very emphatically. Yeah. You know, we don't have to go into all this bleh, over there, you know, stick with the basic doctrines of Jesus, man. Stay correct doctrine that's biblical. Why? 2 Timothy 4. For the time will come, we might be in that time right now, when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers and will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. Folks, the, the American church, what it's happened to her in the last 30 years is baffling yeah. of the things that we argue about, of doctrine, of just like, why are, we're, this shouldn't even be a conversation. This is biblically wrong. We're not going to do it. It's not of God. I'm not going to read some book written by a man. Bible says, no, it's no. That's just how it's going to be. And so we don't want to be a church that's spiritually dead. We want to be alive in Christ, excited to be a Christian. If you're not excited to serve Christ, you need to go back to the cross. Just go back to the cross. Go back and figure out what he saved you from and what he set you free from. My best day living for Jesus is better than any other day that I've had. I praise God that he saved me, that he set me free, that I'm not... Praise God I'm not held accountable for my past sins. Can someone give me an amen on that one? I want to be alive in Christ. Colossians 2.13 to the church in Colossae. And you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all your trespasses. So we don't want Jesus to come back and find us as a lukewarm church. We want to be hot. Be on fire for Jesus. I'm fine with people saying, man, those guys are a bunch of zealots. That's a compliment in my book. But I would much rather, what do you think about it? Eh, you know, you know, it's like, how was it? Eh. I'd much rather be like, man, I, those people are drowning me out when they were worshiping. Yeah. Did you hear the people worshiping in the church this morning? Hallelujah. <laughs> Give me that, man. Give me that. Give me a church that's full of people that when you come to this church, like, man, where are you at? You want to be? What is it? Good Jesus. Come on to this. And be like, ugh. <laughs> Give me that church, man. That's who I want to be. 
on fire for Jesus. So then, because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'll vomit you out of my mouth. Let him find us hot on fire. (laughs) Dude, if I you if y'all let me, I would go. (laughs) Let us be persecuted. Please, Lord, let us be persecuted. In these days, the truthful will always be persecuted. If you, if you can't handle the truth in a church, how, like, have you not read the book? They're coming for us. You're the, and, and if you're not found in the church and found in the truth when the persecution comes, where will you turn? I don't know about y'all, but I got a bunch in, in, in my church that I know I can lean on and that, I, that we're going to take care of each other in those last days. Jesus said in Matthew 5.10, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, not for being a jerk, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Let's be spiritually alive. Let's have great worship and great preaching and great fellowship and great serving and great giving and great growing. Let's have that. Let's be, let, that, let that be who we are. In Revelation chapter 3, and I want to show you this about the uh, Philadelphia church. You know, I grew up in Ballard, the center of the universe. And um, I was very biblically illiterate as a child. And there's a church in Ballard called the Philadelphia church. And we used to always mock that church when we would drive by because we didn't read our Bibles. And so we called it the cream cheese church. (laughs) Says all the Philadelphia cream cheese. Why is there a church called Philadelphia and Ballard? This is Ballard, cream cheese church. But now that I've been serving Jesus, let us be a cream cheese church. Amen. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These things say he who is holy and he who is true. Red letters. Jesus talking. He who has the key of David. He who opens and no one shuts and shuts and no one opens. I know your works. There it is. See, I have set before you an open door and no one can shut it. For you have a little strength. Have kept my word, have not denied my name. Indeed, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say they are Jews and are not, but lie. Indeed, I will make them come and worship before your feet. And to know that I have loved you because you have kept my command to persevere. I also will keep you from the hour of trial which shall come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. Behold, I am coming quickly. Hold fast to what you have that no one may take your crown. He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God and he shall go out no more. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem which comes down out of heaven from my God and I will write on him my new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Let that be us. Let that be us. We talked last week about how we want to store up our treasures in heaven. Matthew 6, 20. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. We want to be a church that has a long view of where our true hope is and it's in heaven. You will not take your house, your car, your clothes, your jewelry, your stuff, your electronics. You will take none of it with you to heaven. There's no U-Haul following a hearse. Interesting statistic. One out of one people die and 100% of them take nothing with them. You don't take anything with you when you go to heaven except 
for the biblical works that are described in the scriptures, except for those that you bring to Christ Jesus that go to heaven with you. That's it. There will be rewards and crowns in heaven, friend. And and I know that these are teachings of the Bible that uh, don't get taught a lot because people don't like to think that they're actually going to stand before God and be held accountable for the way in which they live their lives after they become a Christian. People like this idea of like, well, I went to the front, I raised my hand, and I got forgiven, and now I can live however I want, and I just magically make it to the end. But Jesus made it very clear, and the scriptures are very clear, that there will be rewards in heaven and that we should work for these rewards. Now, whenever a preacher starts talking about works and rewards, people are like, well, you know, that's works-based theology. That is not what I'm saying. You were a vile sinner in need of a Savior, a heaping, steaming pile of nothingness. And Jesus saved you, not because you were good, but because He's good. And you did nothing to save yourself. It's 100% Him and 100% not you. But now that you're saved... And and this is the scripture that people always use. It's in Ephesians chapter 2. I'll show this to you really quick. In Ephesians chapter 2, people love... Whenever a pastor starts talking about works, everybody's like, well, you know, pastor, I know three scriptures, and one of them that I know is this. (laughs) Ephesians 2, 8, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that is not of yourselves. It's a gift of God. Not of works. Lest anyone should boast. (laughs) Passer. (laughs) But then in verse 10. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. Which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. The map version is you did nothing to save yourself. You can't save yourself. But now that you're saved, get to work. Get to work, man. Let's go. I don't give presents to my wife so she'll stay with me. Though it might help. It's because I love her. Her birthday is next month. and oh, I'm, I'm not a good gift giver, man. I'm always like, just buy something to bring me the receipt. Or just tell me the amount. Like, and the worst part about it is, is that her birthday is December 15th. And I just have stomach pain up to her birthday. And then boom, Christmas 10 days later. And I did everything I could to the 15th. And it's like 10 more days, man. Let's go. When I give my wife gifts, it doesn't make us any more married. It's just a, a, an appreciation for the fact that she had a moment in time where she thought I'd be the one for her for the rest of her life. (laughs) When you love God, His commands are not burdensome. You're not working for your salvation, friend. But now if you love Jesus, His commandments are not burdensome. There is joy in serving Jesus. Those, those who are in Christ Jesus will receive rewards upon Christ's return. 2 Corinthians 5.10 For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, either good or bad. Colossians 3.23 And whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance for you serve the Lord Christ. Jesus said in Matthew 16.27 For the Son of Man will come in the glory of His Father with His angels and then He will reward each according to His works. 
Second John 8, look to yourselves that we do not lose those things which we worked for, but that we may receive a full reward. Yeah. Is it clear in Scripture that we work for rewards? Yeah. Is it clear that Christ is paying attention to how we live our lives? Yeah. Does it not stand a reason that we should think about what we're doing and how we're living to obtain these crowns that Christ promises? And, and I present to you this morning, friend, that, that the greatest chance that we have to receive these crowns is within the local church. We get the victor's crown, which is awarded for self-discipline. Now, what's interesting about self-discipline is it makes it clear that it's you. It's not our job to discipline other people. It's our job to discipline ourselves. And, and when I talk about self-discipline, I'm talking about the act of controlling your mind and your mouth and your actions and your desires. 1 Corinthians 9.25, And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but for we, an imperishable crown. When you work hard, and we, we always, it's, it's interesting, we admire athletes more than we admire people that live for Jesus. We'll, we'll watch television, and woo, and this guy is so awesome. Well, why don't we admire those saints of God that have been serving Jesus for 60 years? that have lived holy lives, been married and stayed faithful and served God. Those are the people that are going to get the imperishable crowns. They're the ones that are going to be revered, not a perishable crown. When we as a local church gather together Sundays or any other day, folks, we get fellowship. We get encouragement. We get biblical tools to help us be self-disciplined. The Bible says to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And the local church is great because you're allowed to be around other Christians that can help you become more self-disciplined. And, and, I, and I start with myself because I need all the help I can get. If it wasn't for my brothers in Christ, whew, like I need guys to be like, come on, man, where are you at? What are you doing? Where are you at with this thing? Don't say that. Don't do that. I can be honest with somebody like, man, I got these things that are going on in my head. What do I do? And they're like, dude, do this. This is what helped me. Be fantastic. And that happens in the church. No one else is going to do it for you, folks. You've got to do it yourself. Right. Proverbs 25, 28. Whoever has no rule over his own spirit is like a city broken down without walls. But when you're around other believers, they help you to be self-controlled. They hold you accountable. They encourage you. They challenge you. They support you. They love you. They teach you and they train you. It's interesting. The people with the most self-control are the people that put themselves in conditions that they will get the most help with their control. And so, and, and so when uh, the people that have the most self-control are the people that put themselves in a position where they don't have to have much self-control. You never get in trouble on a Wednesday night that you're in church. You never get in trouble on a Sunday morning when you're in church. If you've got to get up early for a man up, you can't stay up late on a Friday night. See, I, I, I had a problem with Facebook on my phone. And so instead of having self-control to not look at it, I just took it off my phone. I don't have to have self-control anymore. Yeah. I turn on my phone a lot and look at it. It doesn't do much anymore. <laughs> <laughs> self-control, man. You've got to do what it takes. But when you've got other people around you, it's easier. The Bible talks about the crown of rejoicing. And the crown of rejoicing is one that I'm really excited about because that's for those who lead others to Christ. For those that lead others to Christ, you get a crown for that. 1 Thessalonians 2.19, For what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? 
Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus at his coming? What he's saying is that when, when the Lord Jesus returns, there'll be more there upon his return. And, and there's a crown that we get to look and see and say he's returned. And there's more people because we share the truth of the gospel. Sadly, statistics will say that most Christians will, will live their whole life with never leading anybody to Christ individually. It's sad, and, and I read some statistics as much as 90%, 70%, something in there. But, and I won't make you raise your hand this morning because it would be embarrassing. But most people would say that they've never personally led someone to Christ where they weren't a believer, you showed them the gospel truth, and then they became a believer. And it's just, it's hard, right? It's, it's a hard endeavor to lead somebody to Christ. I know in my own life where I've been a, a zealot for 30 years and I'm a pastor, individually outside of the church, Maybe a handful, like maybe three or five, somewhere within my life. The bulk of the salvations in my whole life that I've seen have been in the local church. Where someone brings somebody to the local church that preaches the truth, people are convicted of their sin, and then they change the way in which they live to live for Christ. The, the church still is the greatest vehicle that we have for evangelism on this earth. Wait, inviting someone to church is an easier ask than like, hey man, are you a vile sinner that needs a savior? Turn over from the law of sin and death. You interested in that? Running a deal today. Give all, get all. Most of it's hard, right? I mean, I, I'm a complete like out there, talk to anybody guy. Like if we're out there publicly and I'm sitting next to somebody, I just strike up a conversation because I'm like, why not? You know, I could get them to church or tell them about Jesus. That's just who I am. It comes easily. I don't even have to try. <sighs> Some people aren't like that. <laughs> They're like, I don't want to talk to nobody. It's not that you're mean. It's just kind of like, that's who you are. You're just like, I'm kind of like a, and you're kind of like a, mm. and, uh, <laughs> We need those types of people. But when you have the ability to invite somebody to a local church, you get them in front of the body of believers, the body of Christ, and the power is so much stronger. And, and you can be guaranteed that you can bring them to a church like ours. They're going to hear the truth. You may, you may not have what it takes to take them down the Romans road, but you could just like silently ask them, quietly ask them, say, hey man, would you like to go to church with me? And they'll come in and they'll hear the truth. The good news is that you go to a church where the gospel is preached. And, and people say, man, you, you always preach the gospel and tell people about their sins and salvation and forgiveness on a Sunday. Yeah, because people invite people to church that get saved here. And so if, if, if you uh, get tired of hearing the gospel, I wonder if you're saved, honestly. Because it's the power of Christ and the salvation, amen. Another crown is the crown of righteousness. Crown of righteousness. And this is for those who have a longing for the Lord Jesus to look for his return. This is an easy crown to earn. You just have to be excited about Jesus coming back. You, you just have to be like, man, come Lord Jesus, come today. And if you ever have to go through something, you're there when you're like, Jesus, can you come before the end of this day? Because I'm ready for you to return. 2 Timothy 4.8, finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge will give to me on that day. And not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Folks, the crown, the crown is for those who have spent their lives eagerly, excuse me, eagerly awaiting Christ's return. The Bible says in Hebrews 9, 28, so Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many to those who eagerly wait for him. He will appear a second time apart from sin for salvation. I encourage you to include in your mouth 
talking about Christ's return. And, and it's, it's, it's encouraging to do it all day, every day, every week. When, you, when you're with uh, your friends or uh, church people and, and you'll see them on a Friday and you'll say, I'll see you at church on Sunday. Don't say that. Say, Lord willing, maybe we'll see each other on Sunday, but let's hope Christ returns. Yeah. Yeah. Bring that into your vernacular. Bring that into your words. Because the Bible says, encourage each other with this hope. And so when you bring it as part of your thing, whenever you part, you say goodbye to your spouse, they see you tonight, unless Christ returns. This could be our, uh, we'll see each other in the sky when we get there. Amen. Amen. The Bible says that the church will be redeemed by Christ. And that he's returning for his church. That we should offer her up blameless without spot or wrinkle to him. The church to him. What a crown to get. The crown of life for those who have endured and triumphed over trial. Folks, I'll just surprise you. Life is hard. Anybody else notice that? Man, this thing. it's, (laughs) it's It's a thing being in this life, right? But the promise of the Bible is that those who have endured trial and temptation and persecution, even to the point of martyrdom, many of us will never have the pleasure of being a martyr for Christ, but there's people all over the world that have experienced it, that they they actually give their lives in service to the Lord. They get that crown of life for their martyrdom. James 1.12 said, Blessed is the man who endures temptation, for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life of which the Lord has promised to those who loved him. Folks, Jesus promised that we would have persecution. He said to his own disciples, in this world you will have trouble. It was clear that those who desire to live a righteous life in Christ Jesus will receive persecution. Sadly, in America, most of the persecution that Christians get is from other Christians that are upset that you're holding to the standard of God's holy word. That's where I get most of the persecution in my life. Online, it's from other Christians that think I take it too seriously. People that aren't Christians expect me to be a zealot. Yeah. It's kind of who you are. I think it's why I'm a, whenever I'm on a plane and I say I'm a pastor, no one talks to me. Because <laughs> they know where this thing is going. Like, oh, what do you do for a living? I'm a pastor. Oh, okay. <laughs> Welcome persecution, man. It's a pleasure, man. Thank you, Jesus, that I'm worthy enough to suffer on your behalf. Thank you that I'm worthy enough to suffer on your behalf. And then the crown of glory, which will be awarded to the faithful shepherds of the people of God and the leaders of God. As a pastor, um, there's promises of scripture of that crown, but that, that promise isn't just for a pastor. It's for anybody that teaches God's word. If you disciple another believer, if you uh, uh, preach the gospel, if, if you serve in the children's ministry and you're leading these young children to know Jesus, there's a crown that's promised to you. First Peter 5, 4, and when the chief shepherd appears, you'll receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. I don't understand why people would not want to work for this crown of glory to say, you know what, I'm, I'm leading these other people to know your truths, to know your doctrine so that they can make heaven as well. And again, this happens in the church. You teach people God's word through pastors and leaders and teachers and preachers and Bible study leaders, children's ministry leaders and disciples, all those people, crown of glory. And it's all of us. Every single one of you are a disciple maker because you teach others to follow what God wants us to know. And this happens in the church, a great and glorious church that outlives us. 
Folks, when we get to heaven and Christ redeems his church, his global church, and his bride, it will be a sight to behold. I want what Matthew 25, 23 says. His Lord said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of the Lord. And lastly, this is, the, this is actually the best part of the whole entire, the whole entire message. And save it to the end. In Revelation chapter 4, verse uh, 9, and 11, it's, uh, 9 through 11, it says, When the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to Him who sits on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before Him who sits on the throne and worship Him who lives forever and ever, and cast their crowns before the throne, saying, You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. These crowns are not for our benefit. We just want to earn these crowns so that when we get to heaven, we can lay them at his feet and say, Father, it was for you. It was for you that we earned these crowns because we love you. We want to glorify you with every last part of our lives. To Jesus be praised. Amen? Amen. Amen. Would you close your eyes? Would you bow your heads? If you're here this morning and you're not a Christian and you'd like to become one, I'd like to invite you to become one this morning. It's really quite easy. Either either you're a Christian or you're not. Either you've been forgiven of your sins or you haven't. And if you've never been forgiven of your sins, you've never made that decision to say, I want to turn away from the world and I want to turn towards Christ. I want to invite you to make that decision today. And it's really quite easy. You just have to say, man, I can't do it myself and I want Jesus to do it all, but I want to turn away from the world. You've never made that decision before and you'd like to do it with us today. I'd like to ask you to raise your hand right now and say, that's me. I want to give my life to Jesus. Don't miss this moment. Maybe you've been far from God. And I always say, when you've been far from God, I'm not talking about a bad week or a bad month. I'm talking, you've been gone for a long time. You know the truth. You've been walking, but you've walked away from it. And you've been waiting for a moment. You say, man, I don't know how to get back to Jesus because I've I've been so lost. And today I want to come back to Jesus. Friend, he's right behind you. Just turn around and fall into his arms. He loved you when you were his enemy. How much more so now that he calls you son or daughter? If you need to make a rededication today, I want to ask you to raise your hand right now and say, that's me. I need to rededicate myself. Father, change us. Father, let us be a church collectively that honors you. I just want to be a Philadelphia church, God. That's it. Help us to be that. God, everything we do is for you, because of you. Let it be for your glory, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Why don't you stand up with me? Casey's in the back, so if you filled out a card, if you want to, he's right in the back of the foyer. You can drop that card off with him. Hey, as soon as we...